Now we're going to uh, read from Second Peter chapter one and verses three to eleven. But we'll not just read immediately because I want to introduce what we're talking about this morning. So uh, we'll come back to that reading just in a moment or two. Uh, in September, I began a series that is centered around our vision of disciples making disciples. I love vision. Uh, the scriptures tell us that without vision, the people perish. Uh, is an older translation, a modern translation is, without vision, the people cast off restraint. It's something that it lifts up our hearts and our minds to something that's beyond ourselves, a journey that we believe that God wants to bring us on. And we believe very much that as part of a church in the 21st century, disciples who are making disciples ought to be a whole vision for our church. So in September, I began a series centered around our vision, looking at our values as an evangelical church, father-focused, Christ-centered, and spirit-sensitive. Then we had a break for a couple of weeks for Harvest and for BB and GB enrollments uh, last week. And we want to continue over the next number of weeks looking at our values. If you haven't seen uh, this document, you need to get a hold of it. Uh, and it uh, outlines our vision. It says in this document, we are committed to transformational Bible teaching, prayerful dependence, God-glorifying worship, caring and welcoming fellowship, innovation and creativity, inclusivity and openness, equipping and resourcing all to serve, ministering to our local community, and participating in global mission. Wow, that is massive. Uh, and that is one of the reasons why we're taking a number of weeks to uh, look together at what it means for us. We're going to look at two, sometimes one of these uh, values each Sunday over the next number of weeks. So today, it's transformational Bible teaching and prayerful dependence. And to help us begin to understand that, let's now read Second Peter 1 and verses 3 to 11. Second Peter 1 at verse 3, hear God's word. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he or she is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things, you will never fall. 
and you will receive a rich and welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, just open our eyes and our hearts and our minds that we may know how to put into practice what we've just read. Amen. So let's think of some principles for understanding how Scripture can transform our lives. Here's the first one. Transformation is a process. When I grew up, there were great words of Christian theology that were often mentioned from the pulpit. Maybe today we don't mention them as often as we should. Things like justification, things like sanctification. And it is this word sanctification that reminds us that transformation is a process in which we are to grow more and more like Jesus. In many ways, the more we imbibe Scripture, the more we become like Jesus. And Peter says that we're to make every effort to add to our faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Are those things natural? Do they happen overnight? Can we just click a finger and have all those qualities in our lives? I suggest not. I suggest that they grow and develop through the process of sanctification as we feed on the Word of God. And so we feed on the Word of God, we apply it to our lives, and we grow in spiritual stature. Spiritual transformation requires a catalyst, and for us that is the Bible. Use it or become stunted, static, or stuck in a spiritual rut. This is the food of our Christian life. And transformation is a process through which we feed on Scripture and grow. The second principle is this. Transformation requires desire. Peter says, make every effort. If you have no desire, you won't really try to become more like Jesus. Let me ask you this. Are you content with where you are spiritually today? Are you as like Jesus as it is possible to be? Have you nothing more to learn? Have you nothing more to add to your faith? Are you as sanctified as it is possible to be? My answer personally to all those questions is no. And if your answer is the same, then Peter says, make every effort to ensure your life is transformed by being conformed to the teaching of Scripture. So that's the second principle. Transformation requires desire. Do I really want to grow and to change? Somebody once said that they uh, uh, wanted to change. Uh, They wanted the church to change, and they wanted society to change, and they wanted their family to change, and they wanted everything to change. And the minister said to him, well, do you want to change? And the person said, oh, no, I'm all right the way I am. We have to have an understanding that transformation begins with me. And it brings us actually to the third principle, that transformation flows from a relationship with Jesus. Verse uh, 3 of Second Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness 
through our knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. It is, says Peter, through our knowledge of Jesus that we have everything we need to grow. We have a a number of babies around the church, and it's lovely to see them and to see them welcomed into the church and to see people growing through uh, the life of the church. When a baby is born, the baby has everything he or she needs to grow except food. Uh, And when the baby receives food, he or she will grow as long as it's appropriate food in the right amounts. And when we come to faith in Jesus and we're, says the Bible, born again, we become, if you like, spiritual babies. And spiritual babies need to grow. And they need to grow with the appropriate food. And it comes out of our relationship with Jesus as the Bible tells us that everything from Genesis through to Revelation points to Jesus then it is as we read his word, as we understand his word, as we apply his word, as we feed upon his word, we become more and more like the Jesus who has called us into relationship with him and provided us with everything that we need, the food to grow. So here's a fourth principle. Transformation requires discipline. We live in an ill-disciplined or undisciplined generation. Everybody wants to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, the way they want to do it, and don't like having to be told. So I wonder if you can think this morning of the spiritual disciplines that are required in order that your life and mine together may be transformed by the Bible. Well, I want to suggest a number for you. The first one is having a regular quiet time. This is an old-fashioned phrase, something that I was brought up on, but maybe many of us today don't use the word. I was taught when I came to faith in Jesus that one of the first things I needed to do was, first of all, tell other people that I'd come to Jesus, but that the next thing that needed to be put into my life was the discipline of a daily quiet time, a time when we draw aside and take time to be with Jesus. Now, sometimes we get ourselves into a terrible uh, dilemma. We kind of feel we're not like some of the great saints who get up at four o'clock in the morning and they spend three hours in prayer before their breakfast and then they carry on. Somebody, a famous preacher, Sam uh, Wigglesworth, once said, I I never pray any more than 15 minutes. Uh, And then he said, I don't go any more than 15 minutes without praying. You see, we can pray and have that relationship with God all through the day, but sometimes it's very important just to take time to be with God. I want to commend to you trying to have a daily or at least regular quiet time when you draw alongside the Scriptures, you draw alongside God and just say, speak to me. And what should that quiet time consist of? I think it should consist of reading Scripture. I think it should consist of prayer, but maybe some other things. But let me just say to you about some of the disciplines of what we used to call the means of grace. There is Bible study. That can be part of your quiet time. 
And it's a great thing to use Scripture Union notes or other notes that give you a passage to read regularly and give you some thoughts to help you understand the passage. There should be times of prayer. Uh, and there should be maybe times of fasting. Uh, or maybe times of singing. Now, you wouldn't want to startle your family, perhaps by singing uh, at certain places. But, you know, I don't do this, and I think I should. Uh, that, that sometimes in our quiet times, you just want to sing God's praises. Uh, maybe a song that we've heard in church, or maybe a song that means something to us. Journaling is another opportunity of a discipline of writing down what we think God is saying to us, where our prayer life is with God, what we understand about where we stand before Jesus and where we're going with him. Meditation, just taking time to chew through a Bible verse or a passage and to think it through what it means, how to apply it. Times of silence, times when we just clear our minds and we say, Lord, speak, and maybe times of spiritual retreat. You see, there's a discipline in leading the Christian life, and I would suggest that many of us are looking at one or two of those things and maybe need to consider another one or two. And maybe very few, if any of us, are doing all of those things together. But transformation requires discipline. And unless we're doing these things to help us grow and to help us understand the Scriptures, then our spiritual growth may be stunted. The fifth uh, principle is this. Transformation requires cooperation. Some people see a conflict between the idea that the Holy Spirit works in us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus and the other idea that Peter says you've got to make every effort to add to your faith. Is that a contradiction? Well, again, the Bible teaches us and helps us to understand that. Philippians 2 and verses 12 and 13. This is what Paul says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is not of works. We are saved by the grace of God that is without merit. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. And yet, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He means what Peter is saying. Add to goodness, self-control, and perseverance, and all those things that we read about. And then this is what Paul says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, God gives us the dignity of relationship. God gives us the dignity of saying, I want to work in your life, but it's going to take your cooperation. God gives the dignity of saying, I want to give you my spirit to work in you, but you've got to have the desire and to make the effort to develop and to mature and to grow. And you do that through your understanding and reading of Scripture. And finally, transformation is possible because we have new life in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Transformational Bible teaching. 
The reality of our new life in Christ is that when we feed in God's word, that life becomes stronger, more mature, and more Christ-like. We will grow as Christians. But before I finish this section, and we're going to hand over to Joan Muir in a moment or two, and I'll explain that. I want you just to be very clear about something. Transformational Bible teaching requires several elements. It requires what we do and listen to through the pulpit in church Sunday by Sunday. I preach what I call the whole counsel of God. I aim to preach through a sweep of scriptures so that over a period of time, all the parts of the Bible are preached on. It is important that we understand that we learn from the pulpit something of God's working in our lives and of the importance of the teaching of Scripture. We do catechism, and uh, once a month or so, we uh, encourage you to read and to think about the questions that are coming up in the catechism, to do them uh, with your children. If you open up the uh, order of service, you'll see that the one that we last did is, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And there's an answer for the adults, and the one for the children is, since the fall, no human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. Why do we do the catechism? It's a theological framework on which we hang all that we believe. And so it's important to think about it and learn it and, if possible, to teach our children. And in what we're seeking to do as we move forward is to begin to have a little bit more time on Sundays as we hear the Word of God preached to respond to that preaching. So preaching is there, but that's not how you're going to grow through transformational Bible preaching. It's one of the elements The other element is what we've been talking about in terms of the spiritual disciplines, and I commend those to you. But the other element is in small groups. You will learn an awful lot more in a small group where you have the opportunity to ask questions, to hear other people's opinions, to talk together and to discuss, and we really commend the idea of small groups as the means by which you will study the Scriptures together to learn more and to grow more and to move on in spiritual growth. So you need a combination of all these things to provide the best conditions for spiritual growth and transformation. These are the means of grace for us. But our vision also speaks of prayerful dependence being a core value. One of our elders, Joan Burr, who chairs the Worshipping God uh, part of our church, is going to come and share about how we see prayer developing in Orangefield over the next while. I just want to start with a quotation from Bishop Sandy Miller, which I read at an evening service some months ago, so some of you may have heard it. He says, The New Testament lays a greater stress on prayer than it does on the evangelization of people. There's a deeper need to pray than there is even for people to be converted. And I don't say that lightly, because there's a fierce need for conversion. But conversions won't happen unless we are praying And the Bible says that from beginning to end. That's quite a statement. So we need to pray because prayer changes things. And we can't underestimate the power of prayer. I don't understand how prayer works. It's a mystery and a wonderful privilege. Our inner hidden life with God is enriched when we pray. 
because we're giving time to him, and that is transformational. As Ken has already said, spending time with the Lord, reading the Bible and praying, changes us. And it's not just about us talking to God the whole time. We need to take time to listen to God as well. Prayer isn't an optional extra for any of us. It's something we're called to do. The prophet Samuel said, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. The Apostle Paul said, Pray continually. And Jesus didn't say, If you pray, he said, When you pray. When Session and Committee drew up the vision that Ken has referred to, the, the document, uh, you'd be able to get a copy in the resource area, I think. Um, there were 15 development priorities set out, and we've all been working hard to deliver these priorities. The one that a prayer subgroup was given is to achieve noticeable deepening of the congregational prayer life. So alongside the regular prayer meetings that take place, prayer subgroup has been organising different prayer events to help us with that. The most recent was the running of the Alpha Prayer course on Sunday evenings. This course was based on the Lord's Prayer. It was encouraging to hear the buzz of conversations and discussions in the groups after watching the video, and I'm sure we all learnt a lot from the video and from each other. In September, this leaflet was given out, uh, Prayer at Orangefield. There are some copies in the vestibule there if you haven't got one. Um, It gives fuller information about prayer meetings and also talks about prayer ministry. It's a very encouraging thing for the prayer subgroup and the prayer ministry team in particular, is that numbers coming for prayer ministry has increased in recent months. Prayer ministry is offered, as Ken said, over in this corner of the church, at the end of every morning service and some evening services. It's one way you can respond if you feel the Lord has been speaking to you during the service. It doesn't have to be about a huge issue. It can be about anything, including coming to give thanks to the Lord. And if you come, you will be welcomed by your brothers and sisters in the Lord, who will minister Jesus to you. They're there to help you spend time in God's presence to receive his love, peace, comfort and healing. And I would encourage you to take an opportunity to come for a prayer ministry if you feel drawn to come. There's also information on this leaflet, this one, about fellowship groups and prayer partners and also information about other prayer meetings. The missionary prayer meeting, which meets on the first Sunday of each month, at 9.40am before the service and praying mothers which is mothers and grandmothers praying for their children and grandchildren this is on the third Tuesday of the month and there's always a notice in the order of service to to give details to explain a bit about prayer partners this started many years ago uh, as prayer triplets with groups of three people meeting together to each pray for three other people to come to faith This has evolved over the years to include praying for each other and things that concern people in the small group. We have discovered there are some Irish triplets, that is, four or five people praying together. At the minute, we have 30-plus small groups of people praying together on a regular basis. Over the years, we've found the best way to start a prayer partner group is to ask like-minded friends to join you to pray. Most of the groups meet in homes, maybe taking it in turns to be host and arrange dates and times to suit everyone. At the minute, we call these groups prayer partners. Over the years, there have been prayer triplets, prayer cells, prayer pods, 
and now prayer partners. If you can think of a better title, do come and tell me. Um, with your order service today is this wee purple leaflet, which outlines some new prayer initiatives as well as current opportunities. We're trying to establish a rhythm of prayer each Wednesday of the month. So on the first Wednesday of the month is the regular prayer meeting, which focuses on intercession, praying for our congregation, missionaries, world situations, etc. This is at half past seven in room one. On the second Wednesday, we're going to have what we're calling the gathering. This is new and will have times of prayer interspersed with times of worship. The first one will be on the 11th of November at 8 p.m. in Ark and will be led by Ian Hanna. The third Wednesday of the month is the quiet hour, which is like a mini retreat. There's input in the form of scripture readings interspersed with times of quiet. This is a great opportunity to come and take time to listen to God. The quiet hours are at half past seven here in the church. And on the fourth Wednesday, prayer watch. This is also new. It runs, we hope it will run, from 9am and end at 5. And it involves signing up to come and pray on your own for an hour of your choosing between 9 and 4 in the quiet room. We realise that this excludes people who are working, but in future we hope to extend the hours. If you'd like to sign up, I will be in the vestibule at the end of the service, and more than one person can sign up for any given hour, so please do come and see me after the service. I want to finish by saying that all of these things I've talked about, these meetings, they're not prayer subgroup meetings. They don't belong to us. We may facilitate them, but they're your meetings. They're for all of us. We're a church family, and we're not inviting you to come as if you're a stranger. You're part of the family, and as such, it would be lovely if you would come as often as you can. And if you have any other ideas about prayer that you would like to share with us, please speak to me or any member of the prayer subgroup, Roger McConnell, Rosie Kennedy, Stephen McMeekin, Suzanne Simpson, or Jeff Mahood. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Well, that's an awful lot to take in this morning, isn't it? Uh, and how exciting that... As a church, we want to see things moving as we grow, as we develop and mature uh, in Christ. Um, I'm aware that in what I said earlier, even even just one of the points through those eight or nine spiritual disciplines, each one could take a sermon in its own right. But I hope that what we've done is to just open up hearts and minds to thinking, yeah, we're a people who can grow, who need to grow, who can develop. And we need to get on that journey together. And as uh, this little uh, leaflet says, the church marches on its knees. Uh, My old childhood hero, one of them anyway, Corrie Ten Boom, wrote once, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? I think it may be the case that for too long an orange wheel it's been our spare wheels rather than our steering wheels. So I really want to commend uh, the current prayer things that we do and the new prayer initiatives to you. And uh, let's go together marching on our knees. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to deal with all the massive information we've heard this morning. But grant that through it all we might hear your voice. That we might respond to you as you want us to respond. And we pray that we may become a church known as a church that marches on its knees 
a church that believes in transformational Bible teaching, a church that grows. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.